Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Unhacked. And guys, I got caught with my pants down here. What episode number is this? Is it 10? Does that 10. sound right? 10, okay. Um, well, listen, I'm sitting here with uh, two of my best friends, Brian and Mario. Brian, tell us a little bit about Canada. And Mario, tell us a little bit about, uh, I don't know, where are you from? Uh, Boston or Massachusetts or something, right? Where are you at? Me? Yeah. I'm from New Jersey. I mean, that's all the same thing. Brian, uh, you go first, and, and hopefully everybody will forget what I just said to Mario. And sure. Mario, go yeah. ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian Lashbow with B4 Networks uh, out of Ontario, Canada, you know, where it's uh, a little bit on the chilly side most days, um, providing computer support to local business and um, trying to make everybody's um, business a little bit better every day. And I'm uh, Mario Zaki with Mastec. We are located in North Jersey, right right outside of uh, Manhattan, a little further than Boston, but you know we can still drive out there. Um, and uh, we 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 service uh, small businesses just like uh, Brian mentioned. Try to keep them safe. All right, and I'm Justin Shelley with uh, Phoenix IT Advisors, formerly Master Computing. I've got clients in Texas and Nevada. I'm not going to take the time to explain why I'm so uh, separated geographically, but that's what I am up to. Uh, all right, guys, we're going to break down another breach. That's kind of what we're doing on this show. We we pick one breach per week and we talk about it. We try to learn from it. Uh, I think we all share a similar frustration that this information is tightly contained. It's embarrassing. We humiliate people over it. We shame them over it. Instead of sharing and getting better like the bad guys do, uh, we all sit here and worried about get worried about uh, being embarrassed. So um, we're trying to crack through that the best we can um, and come out with a little bit more information, come out a little bit smarter, a little bit more prepared to fight this battle that just seemingly is never going to end. So um, that said, we're going to talk about HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Is that what the E stands for? The Enterprise. Um, yeah, so they got hit. Um, and I'll tell you, I'm going to kind of maybe a spoiler alert. The thing that was the most interesting to me about this is usually when we talk about these breaches, the financial impact is devastating. Um, at least right now, HP is saying it's not. So that'll be a little bit different this time around. Um, but let's just jump right in. We're going to talk about we start off with the impact. And then we're going to talk about what happened and why, and we'll wrap up with what we can learn from it, how we can do better. So, um, Mario, you go first this time. What was uh, one of the key impacts that, you know, how did it, how did it impact HP, their employees, their clients? What do you got? So, from the information that they provided, it seemed like um, they were able to get into their 365 um, system, including SharePoint, and extract data. Um, and it seemed like, again, the information, they're they're keeping it on tight wraps that um, they didn't tell us exactly what they extracted, but uh, it does seem like they targeted a specific group uh, within the organization. Okay. Yeah. Specific group. The way I read, I love the way they they write this in the articles that uh, the hackers targeted quote a small percentages. Oh, sorry, a small percentage of HPD mailboxes. Brian, what can you tell us about that? Um, those small mailboxes were apparently used by their staff that is responsible for cybersecurity and their go-to-market business segment. 
Um, but it's um, it's low impact, um, Justin. Low impact. Right, right, right. I mean, that's what we. Again, back to my first point, right? Like we always want to minimize this. Um, somehow, the victims of this type of crime uh, are the ones that are shamed and attacked. Like you know, socially attacked. It's weird. It's weird. Um, so yeah, they're minimizing it. I'm here to tell you if that my cybersecurity expert or what it's he's the one that got targeted and the one that uh, data was exfiltrated from. I don't know that I'd be downplaying it, maybe publicly, but certainly not internally. So this seems to me uh, as maybe a bigger deal than they're making it out to be. But yeah, but at the same time, um, I'm really impressed with some of the information that came out. Um, it looks like following the incident that they immediately brought in a third party external cybersecurity team to come and right. investigate, um, which is telling because, I mean, HP is themselves a huge computing company and you'd you'd think that they'd have internal staff. But I, I'm actually happy that they brought in external cybersecurity experts to uh, investigate because it means that they may actually get to the root cause and and, and figure out how it happened and nobody's going to shove it under a rug. Um, and the other really, really impressive part was that they immediately activated their response process. So yeah. uh, AKA incident response uh, plan, which they had, which is also fantastic because most organizations don't. I mean, it's kind of expected with a publicly traded company like HP that they'll have an incident response plan. But the fact that they had it and were able to implement it right away uh, and able to eradicate it very quickly says a lot about having a plan in the first place. Yeah, it does. One of the things that I get a lot of times, I've probably talked about this before, I'll talk about it again. Um, I get a lot of resistance because our target audience is smaller businesses, right? We are not working with the HPs of the world. Uh, and one of the pushback points that I get is, um, A, we don't have the budget of these big guys. And B, if these big guys are still getting hit, um, what hope do I have? But um, I don't, I will not, I'm not speaking to HP right now. But I am telling you that I know of many cases where these large organizations, government organizations, fall way below industry standards, best practices. They're not doing the things that they're supposed to do and or they don't have the internal staff to do this. Now, HP might. It, it can just be a PR move to bring in somebody else, bring in a third party. Maybe not even a PR move. That's a smart move. You should always have another set of eyes. They might have internal staff. They might not. I don't know. But look, to your point, Brian, it is smart that they bring in another set of eyes. So I think we should all do that. You guys, you know, we do that uh, for ourselves, for our clients. Um, and I believe everybody should do that. So, OK, good point there. Mario, did we miss anything? Um, no, I think I, I did see that, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't want to mention the name, but it seemed like it was a, a similar group that. Uh, targeted the 2020 breach to solar winds right. and which means that you know when they went after the the cyber security department of hp is that they were trying to make this a mass-wide thing they were trying to target their customers uh and you know encrypt you know it could have been could be thousands of other users or companies that could have um it could have been a bigger problem than just goes beyond hp it could have been their customers as well but just like brian uh, said they they did pull the trigger you know in a very quick manner to isolate the incident so kudos to them and and just for clarification what you're talking about is called a supply chain attack right where um somebody downhill in the supply chain can be targeted but indirectly 
they go after uh, levels above them. SolarWind is that example, right? They they hit companies above the ones they were actually targeting. Um, it's it's way harder for me to detect my vendors getting breached than it is for me to detect my own client, my own self getting breached. So, um, yeah, this is exactly. and, and we're going to kind of pivot. We'll go into what kind of an attack was it? How did it occur? Uh, at least as far as we can determine. Um, and these are the kinds that really scare me because, you know, it, this was nation state sponsor. As far as we know, this is, uh, you know, the Russian government backed this. Um, that's what's terrifying. And that is why in our country we go after the victims because we can't get to the criminals, to the perpetrators. They're governments, you know, unless we're going to say we can't get to them. Um, yeah. So. Go ahead. Just to add to that, you know, when 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 a lot of customers and I have a conversation with them, they they they're like, why would they be going after us? Like we're we're just small fries, we're small potatoes. The reality is 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 especially with with nation state sponsored um, groups, they don't care who you are. They just want to destabilize the entire Western world right, and right. make it difficult on on us. And if they can do that by by taking down whatever businesses they can and causing chaos and, and havoc, they're happy. Mission accomplished for them, right? Yeah. 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 If actually if I can also add on to that, uh, it the, this isn't one or two groups, you know, in Russia. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of different groups, some large, some small. And the smaller ones sometimes are, you know, they're gonna go after the smaller companies, you know, the ones that they can, you know, cause a problem or try to encrypt them or try to get into a 365 you know and they they move up the chain over there you know and you know the better you get the more you know you're the, you're able to go after the bigger groups but it's the smaller ones that um that are targeted you know all the time you just don't see them on the news you know you That's can't just uh, yeah, right. you know but it's happening it's happening on a daily basis that these little guys are, are getting breached, but they're also not announcing it to people. For you cybersecurity experts, if you were to go audit uh, yourselves or any one of your clients, what is the likelihood that you are in the middle right now of some sort of a targeted attack? Pull logs, pull firewall logs, pull server logs, pull, you know, whatever you've got. Um, what is the likelihood that there is some sort of an attempt to crack into your security oh, right now? 24-7-365. I mean, you, if you were to take an, you know, an, an unprotected um, you know, computer system and put it directly on the Internet, it, it would be breached within minutes. Um, you know, there's there's constantly um, scans that are happening on every single uh, and I won't get too technical, every single address out on the Internet constantly. Right. And there's thousands of people doing it hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and so, you know, within a matter of minutes of a new device being put online, it's already having attempted breaches um, of all sorts of known loopholes and known bugs. Um, it just happens to be that most of us um, already have these protections in place and our firewalls are blocking them. Um, but if you don't. Yeah, so two points on that. One, anybody that says I'm too small, I don't have anything that they're after. Well, I can show you any given minute of any given day that you are currently under attack. Um, and then uh, number two, you do have something they want. If you have a bank account, if you have a dollar to your name, you've got something they want. So quit thinking that your data, your client list, all this other stuff, or you move to the cloud or whatever, and that's protecting you. They're after your money. 
And yes, even if they're stabilizing whatever, but even if they're not after your money, Justin, they they they'll be more than happy just to use you as a springboard to get to other people. And True. once they infiltrate yeah, exactly. your computer system, now the traffic is coming from North America instead yeah. of coming from Less another protected. country. And so, you know, they're they're going they're just bouncing off of you to get to other people. Um, so, yeah. Well, also, not to mention that a, a big, large of the amount of like a large amount of the attacks are coming in right now through email and, you know, phishing emails and stuff like that. They're you're they're essentially one click away from being able to get in and do what they want. You know, if they click, you know, if the, a user clicks on one thing, they will give them, you know, the ability to get into either their network or to their Microsoft 365 accounts and then and then they're able to do a million different things now. Uh, so to answer your question, I mean, it's beyond, you know, as every time you get an email, you know, check your junk mail folder, check your spam folder. Half of those that are in there are attacks, you know, and it's only takes one, you know, email to actually get through and somebody to click on it. Yeah. All right. Well, I derailed this a little bit. Let's go back to uh, HP. Let's talk about what happened to them, how it happened. Um, and I think I went to Brian last time. So Mario, tell me uh, just a little bit about what what type of an attack was it? How they get in? Uh, so it did seem that they were able to get in because they found an account. Well, they they did get compromised twice, and the the first breach uh, seemed to have been related. You know, uh, or sorry, the second breach was related to the first breach. But from what the information that they released, it seemed like there was an account that didn't have two-factor authentication enabled. Okay. And again, that's something we don't know absolutely, but it is theorized. Well, it's it's um, <laughs> theorized, but very good, very good insight went into it or, or, or discovery went into it. The hackers used essentially what is a password spray attack to compromise a system. And so the only way to do that and be successful at it is if, in my books anyways, is if 2FA wasn't enabled on the account. Um, and, and maybe they had inside, uh, inside sources, maybe they were able to get around it in another way. But it does look very, very highly likely that it was a, um, when we say password spray attack, we mean they, they're just trying random passwords over and over and over again on an account, and they, and they happen to guess the right password. So well, we okay, have. so I'm going to stop you there. That's a brute force, right? Okay. So a spray attack, I had to Google this, <laughs> I will yeah. confess, um, is where they take the same password and hit it on many accounts before. Ah. So this comes back to the the old <laughs> advice of don't use your same password on multiple sites. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. See, don't even share even passwords sometimes. among users, which, god damn it, all of my clients do it. Yeah. They're the same user account for everybody. You can't do that. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, if you're a dentist and your password's teeth, you're not, you're not being <laughs> clever. <laughs> <laughs> or password one two three or whatever courting q w e r t y these are still some of the most common passwords out there password one welcome one yeah mm -hmm. yeah good stuff good stuff well i, okay. I see it i see it, you know all the time and i, I made sure like, my my guys don't do this but sometimes when you're onboarding a new employee and you want to kind of just get them in you'll set up a simple password and you're supposed to check off the box that says you know, have the user change it after the first login. But if they missed that or, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't do it once, that password stays in. And I want to say 99% of users do not, like new employees will not go in there and change the password. So they'll Half just the time keep they don't it know in. how. It's a new system. Yeah. They're learning everything. That's the last thing on their mind is how to go on and change a password. Yeah. 
know, I like randomized passwords. Um, and then you can force them to change or not. It doesn't matter at that point. Now they will because you've given them such a stupid ass password. They don't want to use it. Right. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Use but this so. does prove that they probably HP probably did not enforce the option where users have to change their passwords every like, say, 90 days. You know, so maybe, maybe not. I don't like that you just said it proves because we don't know anything. I'm just going to put my legal disclaimer out there again. Um, we're reading news articles. We're using our experience with what we see. And yeah, we can we can pick up on patterns where that's probably the case or potentially the case uh, just based on our own experience. So we do not know anything about HP. HP, please don't come to us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. What else we got? I think it's Brian. Are you up? Um, well, one of the nice, the, the interesting thing is, is that uh, there was actually a cybersecurity vendor, ThreatLocker. A lot of us are are, are using ThreatLocker in our businesses. Um, great company to work with. Um, they also um, indicated that um, multi-factor authentication is was likely the uh, a factor in this case. And and yeah, go through them, not us. Yeah, and then they also recommend that you know that be one of the main things that that people do is just enable that um, uh, multi-factor authentication. It just demonstrates that you know even today there's some organizations out there that are still not um, enforcing that. But more importantly, just than enforcing it is reporting on it, right? If we can find and, and I, my customers have um, you know uh, us to to watch over this, but a lot of a lot of MSPs are not monitoring three six five. Um, you know, monitoring for things like 2FA being disabled on an individual account, that would flag something on our end and we would be able to turn around and ping the client and be like, hey, you know, you have a customer here or an employee here who who doesn't have 2FA. So more important than just saying you have to have it, monitoring it and enforcing it are, are, are additional steps that you could take. Okay. So it sounds like we're pivoting into uh, how could it be prevented, what we learned from this. And yeah, that's that's key one, right? Is monitoring Office 365. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Let's let's talk about more of the things that we've learned from this particular account or this attack, and uh, or maybe just stuff that reminds us of from our our daily lives. But uh, Mario, what else can we do to prevent something like this? Well, uh, there's there are certain tools out there that um, well, obviously there there's the, the basics, right? You know, have a you know good password, have the password change, set up your multi-factor authentication, the two FA, um, but all that is still not one hundred percent. You know, like you can still crack two two FA and you know passwords and stuff like that, but um, you need to also have in place, you have to have, just like you monitoring your firewall and your computers and stuff like that, you need to monitor your, your 365. And there's companies out there that just strictly, you know, uh, monitor your 365. There's programs, you know, like something we use, we, we put in certain factors in place. If we see like a login for a user come from two different areas of the world like you know new jersey and then you know california within a few minutes that we automatically geofence it and that it it disconnects them obviously block out you know um anything outside of the united states or canada uh for for all your users there's certain things that you have to put in place and unfortunately Microsoft does not enable a lot of this stuff out of the box. You know, it's uh, stuff that you, your IT professional needs to go in there and enable, you know, per per customer. 
Yeah. I mean, really, there needs to be a checklist. There needs to be, you know, we call it internal standards, call it whatever you want, but there needs to be a process, a checklist, a procedure, insert whatever word you want here, but um, it needs to be reviewed on a regular basis and it's got to be somebody's primary job and somebody has to be accountable for it. And that really is where a lot of times uh, our clients or prospects fall short. And hell, a lot of times we see it in our industry, right? Where um, some IT companies, they get so overwhelmed with their day-to-day that this stuff falls through the cracks. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll come back to it, but I'm going to put the plug in right now. Always get another set of eyes on it, right? If get a set of if you think everything's locked down and solid, that's probably the worst scenario, right? I, anytime you think you've got it figured out, god damn it, you don't <laughs> get somebody yeah. else to look at it. Do not get complacent. So, um, uh, along with our Office three sixty five, I don't see well. This this is kind of a frustration of mine. Clients frequently want to have the keys to the kingdom. And as IT providers, it's hard for us to say, no, you can't have that. But so many times uh, the the CEOs, the executives of, you know, of our clients want to have administrative rights to Office 365. So how do you guys handle that? Well, I can I can dive in here because I, I'm a big believer in in this as well i i we practice it within our own organization um and my message to all business owners is that um we practice uh the least the principle of least um oh my gosh why has it gone blank now um least access uh essentially you're not special you shouldn't have administrative privilege on your day-to-day account you can have a second account that has administrative right. access. That's what we do. Like I have dom- or a global administrative access to 365, but not on the account that I use on my phone, not on the account I use on my desktop, right? If I need to go do something within my my administ- like you know within our system, I log out and log in as as the global administrator on a secure system that maybe is clean and and not that my system isn't clean, but it's my day to day system, so you never know. Um, you know, we we log into a clean clean system, verify that. Um, do, or sorry, do the activities we want to do, log out, and and it has also two-factor authentication, and it is limited to you know either my office or a few very limited areas that we can log in from, right? It's not a, an, an account that you can log in from just anywhere in the world. Uh, in fact, I tried to access it from the U.S. Uh, while I was on a conference um, a couple of months ago. I couldn't do it, <laughs> but, right? Uh, case in so point, that's right? what you do for you, but how do you handle when your clients come to you and say, Brian, I, I mean, I own this place. I want the administrative password. The credentials for Office 365. Yeah, I say the same thing. I say, listen, we we refuse to do it outright. Like, we will not give a client administrative access. We've learned our lesson. Um, A number of years ago, we had a client who had administrative access before our time. They came in as a client, and for whatever reason, we didn't recognize or realize that they had global administrative access. They got breached, and every single one of their employees were breached, but we were able to fix the breach on the primary account holder, not realizing that they had then gotten into all the other accounts and, and, and were able to worm their way in through there. So um, now we just blanket, just we verified um, at some point in the past, you know, all accounts don't have administ- global administrative access. Um, we went through and removed everybody's, uh, even people who didn't respond to us. And we just said, we're going to remove it, even if they, they don't want us to remove it. Uh, I'll take, I'll, you know, I took the heat on that. And then I just sat with the customers and said, you know, we'll give you access just not on your day-to-day account we just we just can't have that as a risk factor because listen if a customer gets breached just like people will blame the victim they'll blame the customer the media will then look at well who is the one who's 
responsible air quotes right responsible for that system oh well b4 networks was the one handling the security there and so you know they're at fault even though it wasn't us right even though um you know it, it, we were maybe they're not even on a contract maybe they were just like we fixed their computer one time but like we're the ones who took it so now um we refuse to do any business with anybody who won't let us take care of security and, and that's not because we don't like them it's just we we refuse to have that amount of risk um for our business and and the clients that we work with understand that and appreciate that about us well this this is one of those cases where you've got to have one throat to choke right if if a client gets breached i mean i don't want them coming back on me but that's better than having to sit there and figure out whose fault it was mm-hmm. right? i, I want to be responsible right yeah. yeah so i'm i'm the same um if they insist on having that account it comes with a letter uh, you know, taking responsibility. Um, a lot of times, I don't think I've actually done it. Maybe I have, but I will. I will at least threaten to take the password and put it in a sealed envelope with you know my like uh, LLC stamp on there and say, here it is. But if you get breached, you better be able to show me this sealed envelope that you didn't you know use this account. And then if you want to fight, tear it open. But at that point, once you've opened it, it's on you. You know, just just to make that point, to drive that point home, because they want it until they have to take responsibility along with it. Then all of a sudden we're having a different conversation. Well, one of the neat things that we can do, too, is if, if, if a client wanted to have an administrative login, you can actually have any administrative logins, global admins that have logged in, email a couple different people within the organization. So at least then, you know, that that account was accessed, right. you know, that that somebody has now gotten into the account or has logged into the account that and you can't. Right. If you send it to an external address, there's nobody who's going to be able to go in and change the settings fast enough for that email not to go out. So I agree with all that. I still like like some yeah. sort of a physical transfer of yeah. responsibility. You know, like you take this from me and you understand what it means, but reach yeah. your hand out and grab it. You know, like, yeah. and the thing is, too, it, you have to find out what why they want it, you know, and it, a lot of sure. times like we, we had a we had a customer. Uh, a few weeks ago that wanted uh, administrative privileges. And we told her, I said the same thing like Brian said, well, I will not give it to you on your own account, you know, that's licensed. We'll use a separate one, but why do you need it? And it turned out they just wanted to change some settings in Teams. And you can actually give them, you don't have to give them a global, you can actually just give them access to Teams. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you, you know, it's not, you know, because they, a lot of times these, you know, uh, owners and stuff like that, they don't know what they're really asking for. They, they just want the overall information, but they're only using it for one little piece of the right. puzzle. They use and, the word admin because they want to administer something, but they don't understand really what they're asking for. And Brian, the, the term they're looking for is least privilege access, right? You. That's, that's, that's what we do, right? If sure you want to have one function, here it is. You can have this one function, but what you cannot do is go in and reset people's passwords. You can't create new mailboxes. You can't upgrade privileges, you know, that kind of stuff. So, Because if you get breached at the end of the day, the criminal will have access to literally everything you have access to. And so that should yeah. be as least amount of information as possible to contain and and right. and and keep that breach small. It's essentially what an incident response plan is, right? You An incident response plan is doesn't only come into effect upon an incident occurring. It's preventative look look at all the things we can do where how could we get breached how are we going to block those breaches and how are we going to detect those breaches when they occur and then what are we going to do about it after it occurs to contain it 
and then how could we learn from those breaches? And then it starts back at the beginning, right? So it's a an incident response plan is a constantly evolving document and 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 process. And some of them require to have clients involved, like some aspect of it. Um, and some of them we can do internally ourselves. But uh, not having it is is a is a dangerous uh, thing. Yeah, the incident response plan is is crucial. Um, Unfortunately, I think if well, I would argue that most people don't have one. Most organizations, smaller like our client base, they don't have it. Uh, if they do, it's because I gave it to them and it was a template, um, you know, that that went on a shelf and is collecting dust. Uh, I was on a, a training session this morning with uh, one of our vendors, um, and they were talking about not just having the incident response plan, but and you kind of alluded to it, Brian. He calls it a tabletop, and I guess I, I hadn't heard that. I always call it a fire drill or whatever. It's similar, you know, yeah. but where you actually run your response plan, you 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 yeah. simulate an incident, and then you go and and do the the containment and like just try to learn and and change right. and you know modify improve. Um, but in a lot of cases, one of the points he made is that if you haven't done this, if you you know. Uh, you file an insurance claim for cybersecurity, they're going to come back and ask you, first of all, you may not even get the policy without this, but let's say you have a policy and you get breached and you try to get it, you know, get the money for it. They can come back and say, well, let me look at your incident response plan and look at whether it's adequate or not. And then they can do a follow-up question of how do you know it works? However, yeah. they, whatever they want to call it, you know, call it whatever, call it tabletop, call it fire drill, call it, you know, uh, simulation, whatever. But they'll just say, hey, how do you know this plan works? How do you know it's adequate? Mm -hmm. And and a lot of times, you know, go check your policies, guys. But if you can't verify, if you don't have documented that you have the plan and that you know it works and you've tested it, uh, they can deny claims. Yeah. And, and listen, a plan, a plan, an incident response plan, like we as IT providers, MSPs, and, and I, I'm not trying to speak for the two of you, but, you know, we we do internal incident response planning for what we control. Right. We control the desktop. We control the servers. Right, right. We control 365 and we can create incident response plans there. But if the client doesn't want to bother and involve themselves in the process, because I have situations where people just don't want to be like, you're Brian, that's you're you supposed to take care of that. Right. But if I don't know you're using some particular third party cloud application, that is now a vulnerability point. That is now a area where your company has risk and we can't mitigate that risk because we don't know it exists. Right. And so it's it's not just our responsibility it's a joint responsibility um, to create an incident response plan. And every time you add a new product, a new service, a new tool to your to your business, um, that plan has to be revised. OK, now we've got this new CRM system. How are we vulnerable here? Is there anything we can do to mitigate it? Is there anything we can do to catch criminals who have gotten in once they're in, so on and so forth? Yeah, if if I could add some too. So uh, when I sit down with a lot of business owners and I explain to them that we need to put this in place, I tell them it's and this you know it is more for like male you know um, owners and stuff like that because this happened to me. Essentially, this is you know imagine losing your wallet. Okay, you know, I know that feeling, that source we feeling in the world when you reach back there and you can't find your wallet. Essentially, you're you're panicking, you don't know what to do. So if something happens, you you're you're in a panic. So to me, what I I tell them it's like going in there before you lose your wallet, you write down every credit card number information that you have, everything that's in your wallet. So when something happens, you know who to contact, what to contact, what the number is, and how you can 
you know, cancel it and, and fix the situation. And in so, what order? Which one? And in what order? Exactly. So, yeah. you know, it's it's harder to do it after it happens. You want to prepare before it happens. And it's just yeah. like, you know, if you were to lose your wallet. Yeah, don't practice a fire drill while the building's burning down. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah, bad and form. essentially that's going back to what you said earlier, Justin. Um, you know, you want to put systems in place before as much as possible um, because you don't want to be that low hanging fruit on that tree. That's my saying. Like, I love that saying. You don't want to be yeah. the low hanging fruit. It doesn't mean that somebody can't pick your fruit. They might break in. They might get to you. You know, there, you know, there, there's not a whole lot people can do when they're targeting you specifically. They, they'll find a way in, but we don't want to be the low-hanging fruit. We don't want to make it easy on them either, um, because most breaches, most breaches are breaches of opportunity versus um, people coming specifically after you. So. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, there's a long conversation. It's probably time to start winding this down. Um, this was, like I said, a little bit interesting, a little bit different because usually we're talking about massive financial loss, uh, financial devastation. Um, I think I think these guys got away with uh, they, they got away easy. This could have been when somebody. Here's the thing: when somebody gets control of your email, God, it can be bad because they basically own you. You know, that's where a lot of the two-factor authentication that we constantly tell people to put into place. A lot of that happens through email, or you can reset it through email. You know, so it's um, this is a big deal. This is where I mean, arguably, most most attacks happen through some version of email fraud or email. You know what they call a business email compromise, BEC attack. Um, phishing simulation, probably a really good thing to have in place. If your people are constantly used to watching, uh, you know, it's simulated, but they see these emails coming in, they're watching for them. They get that habit of is this real? Is it not real? If you can create that culture with your, your team, your staff, uh, you're way ahead of the game. But if you just do an annual training, which is the minimum requirement, and then you expect with all the other things that uh, that your people are doing nonstop, all day, every day, that they're also looking for uh, phishing attacks? Probably not. So, you know, this ongoing training is really super important. Um, and then we're gonna wrap up with the way we always do, the actual audits or, you know, you can call it whatever you want, but it is a simulated attack uh, where we go in and we we run some, some you know, very non-invasive applications that look for what a criminal would find if they did get through your security, um, you know, and from there we can prepare a roadmap and uh, at least point you in the right direction. You know, let's, like I've said, you just have to have another set of eyes on. We all do. Right. Anything you guys want to add about the those simulated? What do you call it, Mario? You've got a name for it that I like, but I always forget what it is. Um, Mini pen test or something. Uh, security network assessment. Mine's so, a vulnerability, vulnerability or assessment or, or mini pen okay. test. Yes, mini pen we'll test. Know. I think you've used that before. But yeah, penetration. I like test, vulnerability yeah. assessment because at the end of the day, it's what a criminal would have access to if they breached. If if they if you clicked on a link, what right. will they have access to once they got into your computer? And it scans out from there, right? And so right. Um, I like vulnerability because it, it's exactly that. You're vulnerable. It's not for me, it's not a pen test because a pen test is somebody actively trying to use right. tools actively to try to breach your security versus from the outside in. Right for the outside right. in. This is inside out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all, all of these attacks are happening all the time. So this is, uh, it's not a conclude, like this is not an all encompassing uh, cybersecurity assessment or, or audit, yeah. right? Those are tens of thousands of dollars, um, at least thousands, like, you know, 
there's there's so many different ways of going about it. But this will at least give us a place to start, right? Because we all, you, you Brian, you've used it. I use it all the time. The low hanging fruit. That's what we're looking for. That's where we start. Uh, we start somewhere. We start simple. Let's get a, a few of these. Uh, holes plugged, and then we can continue to improve over time, which really is the key, is constantly refining, reviewing, uh, modifying, upgrading, right? It's, it's this isn't yeah. a set it and forget it kind of thing, so. We yeah. sat One with of somebody my- yesterday, and we gave them the report, and they were able to, we were able to tell them, like, listen, you see the, you're using these passwords on 18 different websites, and and look how many of and we actually found some of these passwords on the dark web you know so it's educating the user like listen we can't do anything about the dark web it's there the only yeah. thing you can do now is change these passwords right and sometimes you just need to show somebody like this is what they can do when they if you with one click of the mouse this is what they can get for you yeah and you know it's scary that that yeah. brings me to um, a really um, a really good quote from the former CEO of Intel, Andrew Grove. Uh, he said, um, "You know, success breeds complacency. Complacency breeds failure. Only the paranoid survive. In this hmm. case, success, right? That breeds your complacency is that you've never been hacked yet, right? Uh, no and kidding. so." Yeah. Right. That I really love that saying because it really speaks volumes to this like, oh, I've never been hacked. Well, I've never gotten in a car crash, but I still wear my darn belt every day. Right. Yeah. It, you're not trying to protect against you know, you're protecting against the possibility of a car crash. And the same thing with cybersecurity, you're protecting against the possibility uh, or the highly likelihood in this case of of a cyber breach. So yeah. don't be complacent, folks. Right. So again, guys, we all, uh, the three of us do have these assessments or whatever we're going to call it available for free. It is kind of a, you know, an, an introductory assessment. Um, we all have higher end paid assessments as well, uh, but let's get started somewhere. You know, let's get some basic procedures, some documentation in place, an incident response plan, acceptable use policies. These are some of the foundational things that you need. We'll help you put some of the basic tools in place, two-factor authentication, that sort of thing. Um, and then, it, you know, if it looks like it's worth engaging from there, we we can always talk about that as well. So um, let's wrap up with our website addresses. Uh, Mario, you wanna head first and then Brian? Yeah, so uh, once again, it's uh, Mastec, M-A-Z-T-E-C-K dot com. Right. For me, it's Brian, uh, sorry, B4 Networks. That's a uh, letter B, number four, networks uh, with an S dot C-A. That's a long address that you have to explain every time. <laughs> you know, I got so mad. <laughs> Quick story. Um, my old address was master-computing.com dash hyphen minus whatever and i would tell people that and they would type in m-a-s-t-e-r-d-a-s-h-c-o-m-p-u-t-i-n-g.com <laughs> jesus yikes so i'm gonna one of the main reasons i changed that address and then uh now we've rebranded and it is phoenixitadvisors.com you can reach out to me uh well any of us can give you that assessment again the regions that we cover i've got the i've got texas and nevada mario has um Kentucky, what was it again? I'm just kidding. <laughs> New <laughs> Jersey, Jersey, New York. Uh, and Brian's up north in Canada. Uh, Toronto, right? Ontario? Ontario area, yeah. Okay. Um, and, if, and if you guys are outside of that area, get a hold of any of us and we can put you in contact with somebody who does something sure. similar. So, all right. Uh, unless there's any last thoughts, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here. Good to go. Thanks, guys. Take care. See you next week. Bye.